The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Not long after that, Jesus went to the village Nain. His disciples were with him, along with quite a large crowd. As they approached the village gate, they met a funeral procession. A woman's only son was being carried out for burial, and the mother was a widow. When Jesus saw her, his heart broke. Well, Merry Christmas. But I have a very un-Christmassy and unexpected question to ask. And that is, what right now has you deer in the headlights paralyzed? What's got you frozen stuck in this season? Maybe for you it actually is the Christmas season that has you paralyzed. Because for you, while everyone else is filled with joy and celebration, you're filled with the grief of loved ones lost. Or maybe the pain of what this season reminds you of. For others, this is the season where you get one reprieve from your pain. Maybe all year long, you go through the memories and the struggles of pain and agony, and then during this season, you get to celebrate, and the busyness and the chaos causes you to kind of forget the past and forget the suffering. But there's something that's got you paralyzed. In the 1940s and 50s, a disease caused paralysis all across the United States of America. The polio virus was spreading. It's an incredibly contagious disease. and was spreading all over. And especially in the 1950s where it started to reach its kind of peak so that every single year, tens and tens of thousands of children especially were catching this disease. In 1952 alone, 60,000 children were diagnosed with the polio virus, thousands ended up paralyzed and over 3,000 children died in 1952 from the polio virus. And as a result, they would label the late uh, summer season polio season. Pools, public pools would shut down. They would actually stand in theaters and they would make an announcement. If you didn't know the person sitting next to you, then you need to separate yourself and put a chair gap between you for fear that you might catch their disease. And so fear spread. Kids weren't playing in the playgrounds together. Kids couldn't sit in the classrooms next to each other. And community was fractured. Relationships began to pull apart simply because not only was there real paralysis, but there was fear-born paralysis. And maybe you're experiencing something similar. I know I have. A few weeks before I married, and only a few weeks before I went into full-time ministry, I started to get overwhelmed with fear. It wasn't a fear of getting married. I, I loved my fiance. I was super excited. I've been waiting a long time to get married and really believe that God had called me to ministry. But it was really observing so many others. It was watching so many others go through divorce that made me think, well, what's going to make us different? How do I know that our marriage isn't going to fall apart? And I don't want to start if once I start, we're going to fail. I didn't want to go into ministry. If I became another statistic like so many other pastors and leaders that hurt their churches. And so I thought, no, I'll, I won't even start if I think it's going to end in failure. And it caused this fear-born paralysis. And maybe for you, you're walking through something similar. And here's what it does. It causes us to live short-sighted. We begin to cling to the little bit of life that we have, so we elevate and maximize comfort, and we minimize pain. 
Our mission becomes simply survive as comfortably as we can until we die an inevitable death. And life shifts from purpose to simply enjoying pleasure and avoiding pain. Luke was a physician. Luke spent his life trying to help people survive just a little longer until they died, make people more comfortable until they face death. But Luke noticed a different kind of healer, Jesus, who could speak sight into blindness, who could speak health into sickness, who could speak life into death. And Luke began to follow this healer, Jesus. Listen to what he said, followed his way of living, and later Luke wrote the story of the life and teachings, death and resurrection of Jesus. Luke captured the moment, one moment when Jesus showed up unexpectedly at a funeral. The funeral of the only son of a widow. Now a widow in ancient times, 2,000 years ago, would have been the most vulnerable individual in society. You think of the people right now that may be the most vulnerable. And here was a widow. Her husband would have been her protection and her provision. And her son, her only son, would have been both her retirement plan and her late husband's only legacy. And now she had lost both. So she's not only alone, she's got nothing left. And Luke captures the moment when Jesus unexpectedly shows up at the funeral of her son. And it captures at this moment in Luke chapter 7, verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he walked up to her and he said, don't cry. Now for you and I, if you brought your kids to a funeral, you might try to coach them on what they're supposed to say. I know for me, I tell my children, when you go to the funeral, you see the family grieving. You can walk up, you can give them a hug, and you simply say, I am so sorry. Our prayers are with you. Our, our thoughts are with you. We grieve with you. Don't say, don't cry. It sounds insensitive. It sounds callous. It sounds like you're invalidating their pain. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. God knows. No, 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 you don't say those kind of things. But Jesus walks up to the grieving widow who just lost her son and says, don't cry. And to add insult to injury, they're in the village of Nain, where 850 years earlier, the man of God, the prophet Elijah, showed up on the scene of another similar funeral where a, a woman lost her only son. But Elijah embraced the body of that dead son and spoke life. And that dead son came back to life and supernaturally lived, resurrected from the dead. But now, 850 years later, that's just the stuff of legends. What happened earlier doesn't happen today. And so a dead son in the village of Nain is like being thirsty at a dried up Poland Springs. It's like sitting there hungry at Thanksgiving table with no food left. Where is God now when we need another resurrection. 
Jesus not only says, don't cry, but he continues. Then he went and he touched the coffin of those and those carrying it stood still. Now today, it would not be terribly uncommon to go to a funeral and see somebody maybe holding on to the coffin or the casket, maybe weeping. But in this ancient time, it was a religious atrocity. The Jewish people had rules about these things. You never touch a dead body, nor touch anything that touched the dead body. And if you did, you became ceremonially unclean, which meant basically you could not participate in any of the religious activities for at least a week. And so for Jesus to go and to touch the coffin, it was basically like a rookie mistake. You don't do that. This is not only offensive, but it's kind of like a rabbi should know better than to break the rules. And Jesus goes and he touches what is unclean. And the idea would be that if you touched it, it would make you ceremonially unclean and the corruption of the body would get on you. But Jesus not only touches the coffin and everyone murmurs with hushed tones, but he continues. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. Now, if that happened at a funeral, everyone's gonna feel really uncomfortable because that's kind of an unexpected thing to happen, but what happens next is even more unexpected. See, the dead man sat up and began to talk. You all would be horrified. You would think this was some sick joke. This was no joke at all. So Jesus takes the young man and gave him back to his mother. Everyone is standing, staring. What just happened? And what you just heard was the mission and the message of Christmas. Not just that Jesus, born of a virgin God among men, could live and then raise a son back to life. The goal wasn't to give a young man longevity or longer life on earth or a new second chance at life. No, this moment was something more miraculous than simply longevity. This moment transcends time because it speaks to the whole purpose of Christmas, which is this. Through Jesus, you and I can live fearlessly. You and I can live fearlessly. That's right, we've been gripped by the paralysis of fear, but what is it that really grips us? Why is it that we live such short-sighted, temporary lives where we maximize comfort and we minimize pain and suffering? It's this, because there is a source to the pain, there is a source to death, there is a source to suffering and it's called sin. Sin is like the polio virus. Every one of us, before we were ever born, we were infected and it causes paralysis. Paralysis in our emotions, paralysis in our mind, paralysis in relationships. It's sin that causes separation and distance between marriages and family members. And when you're sitting next to someone, there's some emotional distance that's created. Sin, a spiritual sickness that has infected us all, separating us from relationship with God. And when we're cut off from relationship with God, we're cut off from the very source of eternal life. And without eternal life alive in our spirits, we live short-term, temporary lives where our life ends in death. 
and worse, death becomes a gateway to eternal judgment. And so we have good reason to simply enjoy the short, brief life we have on earth because it's all we have that has even the glimmer of hope. But Jesus did not leave us in this abandoned, hopeless, sinful state. No, he came. In the research to try to find a vaccine for the polio virus, there was one guy that thought different than all the rest of the scientists. Most of them were trying to figure out how to use the live polio virus in order to treat polio. Jonas Salk began testing. He would kill the virus and then begin to insert it into lab animals and then expose them to the living polio virus. And what he discovered was that the dead virus injected into a lab animal would cause the antibodies to grow necessary to fight off the living polio virus. Now he needed to test it on a person, a person who did not currently have polio, polio that would kill, or at the very least cause significant paralysis. But who would be willing to take on the vaccine that could potentially cause death? And so what uh, Jonas Salk did is he went home one day with the vaccine that he had made and he injected himself, his wife, and his children as a massive statement to the world that this vaccine will work within a few short months they had been exposed to the live polio virus and he was able to prove that his vaccine was the cure. And it's a quick little shadow of what Jesus had done so many years earlier. It's like a metaphor pointing back to Jesus who came to us, the only one, a perfect God-man, the only one not yet infected and never having been infected by sin, was injected with our sin. He took on our shame and our guilt. Jesus' death became the killing of the death virus sin. He died once for all. He took your death sentence on himself, your eternal judgment he absorbed on the cross so you could say that the cause of Christmas was the cross. The whole mission and message of Christmas is that Jesus would come to die, be injected with our sin so that his death would kill death itself. What caused corruption would be corrupted. And what would make us unclean became unclean. In Jesus' death, he made us victorious over death itself. Jesus rose from the dead, and in his resurrection, he conquered the power of sin. He killed death, and he gave victory over the fear of eternal judgment so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith would not have to be paralyzed by fear. So you see the story of a funeral in the village of Nain where Jesus said, young man, get up, was not about a young man having a longer life. It was about Jesus' power and Jesus' victory over sin, death, and eternal judgment. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith, you could say in a figure of speech, has been injected with the antivirus of Jesus Christ who killed the sin virus and he became the antidote, the answer so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith, God's spirit is injected into your spirit and now you no longer have to fear the paralysis of sin and death and eternal judgment. And how do you respond to this message? 
How do we respond to the cause of Christmas? Well, maybe just a little like they did in the village of Nain that day. Let's jump to Luke chapter 7, verse 16. How did they respond? They were filled with awe and they praised God. They began to sing what we might call Christmas carols and Christmas hymns. They began to say, hark now here, the angels sing. They might have said joy to the world, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. They said, hey, there is good news. They continued, there is a great prophet has appeared among us. And then they continued, God has come to help his people. They didn't just point at Jesus and say, hey, what a nice guy. What a good doctor. No, they recognized that Jesus was actually God among men who had come to help who had come to bring victory over death. And then it says news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Murmurs in hushed tones begin to spread. There is a God among men and he conquers death. You wanna know what happens? When you and I live fearlessly, we spread good news. That's right. On March 26, 1953, Jonas Salk got on national public radio where he announced to the world, we have found a cure. There is a message of healing amidst the fear of polio. And word began to spread like crazy. You don't have to live worried about this sickness. There is good news. And you know what? You and I, we're good at spreading bad news, aren't we? I know it, I've seen your Facebook feeds. Y'all are really good at spreading bad news. Bad news spreads like a virus. It's contagious. So when someone writes a bad news story, you tag and you share and you put it out there quickly. Why is it that bad news spreads so fast? I don't know, because it seems to stir in us that paralysis of fear, and we wanna warn everyone else. Create distance between yourself and others right now. Watch out, something bad is happening. So why can't we spread good news even faster? Good news that there is a real God who even though it seemed like God was far away and distant, God closed the distance, came near to us, became a man. He walked among us. He was the only one not infected by sin, but willingly became infected. He could raise the dead and heal the sick, give sight to the blind. He took on our infection in order to kill death and corrupt corruption so that when you believe in Jesus by faith, you have victory over sin, victory over death, and victory over eternal judgment. Right now, when you receive that good news, you can spread good news. Don't hold on to it selfishly. You can begin to spread the cure. There is good news. You have a responsibility now, tag you're it, to share the good news. You no longer have to fear the polio virus of sin. You no longer have to distance yourself from others who are hurting, others who might infect you. There is good news. And when you receive that good news, it changes not only the words you speak, but the life you live. In fact, after Jesus' death and resurrection, as the church began to grow, it wasn't like they had easy living. They actually went through great suffering, what was called persecution. In fact, 
Great persecution began to spread across the church in the known world of that time. Churches where people were being murdered in mass, people being put to death. Great persecution spread so that churches began to scatter. People began to live in caves, hiding in the catacombs, meaning in underground burial sites where they would gather as the church in secret. During that time, there was a man named John who had a, he had been a pastor of the local churches and there was multiple attempts to kill him and they failed. But now they had exiled him to the island of Patmos where he was living in isolation. And one day around 90 AD, John had a vision, a dream. And it felt like that dream matched what they were going through because in the dream, he saw incredible horrors. He saw what the end of the world would look like and he thought they were living in the times of the end of the world. He wrote down this vision and it became a book, the book of Revelation, which concludes the Bible. It's where we understand how the world will end and time will become no more. But in that revelation, he has this moment where before the rest of the story unfolds and he sees how the end of the world will occur, at the beginning of his vision, Jesus comes to him and speaks to him. And in that vision, which we have recorded because it's how the Bible concludes, in Revelation chapter one, verse 17 and 18, Jesus speaks to John, and John is supposed to spread this message to the known church of that time, but the message transcends that time because it's for us today, and it's this. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. That's another word for hell and or eternal judgment. Jesus goes, look at this. I got the virus. I was dead, but now I am alive and I hold the cure for death. I hold the cure for eternal judgment. You don't have to live in fear. You can live fearlessly. And when we live fearless, we are not alarmed. You don't live in panic. You don't hit the panic button. You don't run around scared out of your mind. You know how? You begin to shift the way you think. You stop living defensive. You stop living short-sighted. You stop living only for pleasure and only for the moment. You stop worrying about suffering and pain because that's not the enemy. Death isn't the worst villain of all. And then you begin to look and think different. Look, if, if you have the cure, like Jonas did. What do you do with it? He didn't hoard it and hide it. He didn't keep it just for his family. His family was already cured. No, he announced to the world, there is a message of hope. There is a cure. And you know what happened? Within a short few years, millions and millions of people had access to the cure. Within 25 years, they announced that Polio virus have been eliminated from the United States of America. Now we don't even vac vaccinate kids for the polio virus anymore. The, the word began to spread. You know what happened? Kids could play at the playground again. Kids could go to the pool and, and share life together. People could sit next to each other in the theater. You did not have to live in alarm. You didn't have to distance yourselves from others who were also afraid of what you might have. People weren't afraid of catching what the other one had. No, you could build relationship. You could restore relationship. Marriages healed, relationships healed, right? You kind of getting the message that there's something more to this than just the polio virus. Think about the young man that was raised back to life. How do you think he lived? 
He was given a second chance at life. He didn't just know the, he didn't just know new life. He knew the author of life. And when you know the author of life, you just live differently. He lived every day like it was sudden death over time. You maximize your impact. You maximize life, a life of significance, not survival. So let me challenge you, stop living as if the whole point of life is to make it safely to death. Stop worrying about what everyone thinks about you and start thinking about what God thinks about you. And you know what God has to say about you? You're a one of a kind. You are his masterpiece creation. He knows your name and he knows every hair on your head. He knows every aspect of your life. He knows every secret tear. And he knows every secret from your past. He knows the skeletons in your closet and he knows that he loves you and he forgives you. He has removed shame and guilt. And when you believe in him by faith, he has written your future future. And your future is as bright as the noonday sun. God has called you by name and God has designed you for a purpose. There is significance in your life. So stop living just to survive. Stop playing it safe. Stop being a caretaker and start being a risk taker. Start dreaming big dreams that require God to show up. Start praying bold prayers. Start living selflessly. Not selfishly as if the whole goal of your life is for yourself. No, give your life away. Be generous in sacrifice. Be extravagant with your love. Serve others because you're serving God. Imagine how different you would live if you knew you could never die. You have the vaccine. Don't be alarmed. Don't worry about who you might catch sickness from. Man, you have hope. You have healing. You know the healer and you know the author of life. Now live like it. So what is your response right now? Maybe for you, what you need is the injection through faith for life eternal. If that's where you're at right now, then your first step is to simply through faith in Jesus be forgiven of your sins and allow God's spirit to be injected into your spirit. But maybe you already believe in Jesus, but you're not living like it. No, you're living in fear. You're worried about what others think. You're living in panic. You're spreading bad news. It's time for you to make a commitment and change. So would you take a moment right now and close your eyes and pray? including those of you that are joining us online right now. I want you to close your eyes and let's just pray for a moment. What do you need from God right now? I want you to know that the greatest and truest presents of Christmas were purchased on the cross. If right now what you need is that vaccine of faith in Jesus, can I get your attention? I want you just to raise your hand right now and say, yeah, that's where I'm at. That's what I need right now. Would you just raise your hand real high and wave it as if you're receiving the greatest gift of all because you are, you're receiving the true gift of Christmas. Anybody else, you want to raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. That's where I'm at right now. I'm ready to receive through faith in Jesus. For those of you that are raising your hands, I want to take a moment and I want to pray with you right now. Jesus, thank you for the gift of life and of love. Thank you for the promise of forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that you came to earth, the perfect God-man who was injected with our sin in order to kill sin once and for all. And through faith in you, we're given forgiveness and victory over death and eternal judgment. We say thank you for that promise of Christmas. 
And for every one of us right now, we celebrate the power of the message of Christmas, which points us to the cross where we receive victory over sin, victory over death, victory over judgment. In Jesus' name, amen. John, the author of Revelation, wrote another book called The Gospel According to John. And he captures this moment where he's talking about Jesus and he says it as he opens the book in John chapter one, verse four and five, he says, in him Jesus was life, right? The life that gives us victory over sin, death, and eternal judgment. He said that life was light of men. Jesus becomes the light of the world. And he says that that light shines in the darkness, the darkness that comes from paralysis, the darkness that comes from fear, the darkness that comes through death and the fear of eternal judgment. And Jesus says that his light is life. And anybody who receives the life of Jesus Christ through the love of God becomes a light. So I want to invite our pastors to come because we want to show that when you receive that light, you become a light carrier, a light sharer. You are responsible to take the light of Jesus and share it with others around you. So I want to invite you to stand right now and we're going to begin to spread this light. And as you begin to hand the light off to others, I want you to recognize that you have a responsibility to share and show that love of Jesus, that life that is light to a world. Would you join us right now? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.